Hello, and welcome to episode zero of Anephthys Astartes. My name is Ned, and I will be your host on this Horus Heresy and Other Hobbying podcast. Um, I just want to tell you a little bit about the Horus Heresy today. Uh, with the dawn of Heresy 2.0 coming out this Saturday, at least as of the time this was recorded, and just how excited I am for it. So, first of all, an introduction. The Horus Heresy, for those who don't know, is a historical setting that exists 10,000 years before the main stay game Warhammer 40k of the GW line, and it details the rise and then very abrupt and quick fall of the human empire, the Imperium of Man. And it's very popular. It's been a big part of the lore for years and years. And then uh, a decade ago, it was redone and remade and envisioned um, in Heresy 1.0, which people have been playing for a long time. And I myself have been playing for a while. And uh, now we're people in the community are very excited about what's coming next. So to talk a little bit about um, my reasoning for playing Horus Heresy, uh, I love war games. And I've been playing war games for uh, decades but Horus Heresy, I believe, is special because it has a really established uh, setting, uh, which is still imaginative and has room for creativity. But because everything's so much root more rooted in narrative, you get less of the uh, gamey silliness that can sometimes come up in other games, which tend to be more competitive. Um, Horus Heresy is a game where you're going to set down your army across from your buddy or someone you've never met before, and you're both going to appreciate the work you, that you've put into them, uh, talk about how exciting that is, and uh, you know just really enjoy the experience. So, moving on from there. Because narrative is so important to Horus Heresy, um, I am going to take a second to give a really quick um, and simple version of the, the story so far, at least what you need to know so that you can start thinking about how building your army is going to fit into the larger scheme of things. So, uh, without further ado, here comes an attempt at the Horus Heresy lore in one minute or less. The God Emperor of Mankind, uh, he wants to recapture the entire uh, galaxy. So he creates these super soldiers, 20 of them. They're called Primarchs. Each of the Primarchs has hundreds of thousands of little mini super soldiers known as the Space Marines, the Adeptus Astartes. Um, and they are going to help them go out and kick all sorts of alien butt, take over the galaxy, do all sorts of fun things. Well, um, half of them are very, very screwed up as far as mental issues and daddy issues. And the Emperor really kind of sucks at being a nurturing guy. So half of them end up turning traitor. One of them starts off Horus, who is the guy who's put in charge as War Master. He convinces the other half or roughly half, to go along with him and destroy pretty much everything that his father has done. Um, the start of that rebellion involving purging anybody who is theoretically, um, you know, good and helpful. Uh, oh my god, we got seven seconds left. Uh, the bad guys spend seven years getting back to Terra. Everything sucks. Nothing is good. Uh, the end? Well, that wasn't terrible. Probably also wasn't good. But that's why we're the Ineptus Astartes, folks. So anyway, um, the environment and the story and the buildup, because it is a long buildup, it's seven years of story in an entire galaxy, and that gives you a lot of creative freedom when you're trying to decide how you want to uh, to build your army. Like I said, there are there end up being 18 different just Space Marine Legions, and there's other factions as well. There's regular humans, and then there's uh, you know other constructs and... Uh, different, different, lots of different things for us to explore. But for now, uh, 
this Saturday, like I said before, we're looking at the launch of a brand new box, um, 40 Marines, a brand new tank, uh, a Dreadnought, uh, and uh, 10 Terminators, and a couple characters. And that is enough right there to get you started on pretty much any Legion. Um, and it's going to be at really, really good price as well. So we're going to talk about what you might think about exploring if you were going to start a new Legion. So I'll talk about two events that are really strong and flavorful narratives that you could pull inspiration from. And um, we're going to start off with the first, basically, Istvan 3 and then Istvan 5, which is a bit of a cheat, but whatever. Um, Istvan 3 is the planet where um, the Sons of Horus, led by Horus, uh, and then three other legions, which would end up being traitor legions, the Emperor's Children, the World Leaders, and the Death Guard. They basically trick all of their um, remaining loyalist forces, all of the Marines and whoever else, who actually probably would not have gone over with the betrayal. They trick them to going down onto this planet, and then they bombard them and then wipe them out uh, nearly entirely in order to purge their legion of anyone who might resist the War Master's will. Um, the word of this spreads out, and that is what leads to the fight at Istvan 5. And Istvan 5 is where uh, those four legions, again, are targeted by a huge armada of loyalist soldiers, except for the fact that this is actually also a trap. And uh, seven legions show up to try to take on the traitor four. Well, it turns out four of those that showed up are also traitors. Um, the Salamanders, the Raven Guard, and the Iron Hands are betrayed by the guys who come with them, the Iron Warriors, the Alpha Legion, the Word Bearers, and the Night Lords. And that ends up with the Iron Hands uh, being really, really badly hurt. Ferris Manus, which, whose name is Iron Hands. He's the Primarch of the Iron Hands, and his name's Iron Hands. But anyway, um, he is dead. He's killed. Uh, the Salamanders are brutally uh, destroyed as well and devastated. Uh, the uh, Raven Guard are also really messed up, but Korax manages to escape. Um, basically, the, the heresy kicks off with three legions of Space Marines who would be the defenders basically being removed from the board right away. Um, this is a great narrative setting to base uh, your army upon, especially, I think, if you're one of those three loyalist legions, uh, Salamanders, Raven Guard, or Ferris Manus. I'm sorry, the Iron Hands. I I easily mistake the two because, again, it's the same words. But anyway, um, as a matter of fact, if I was an Iron Hands player and I wanted to use Ferris Manus, I mean, that's like the only way to go because he's dead after that. Narratively speaking, if you want to make that model, if you want to build that army, he has to be at Istvan. So there's really no other option. Um, but it would be really cool to build any of those legions. And then you could really, you know, you could take your time with the painting and really distress them battle damage and really make them look worn and torn give that feel of an army that is you know very very badly outmatched and it would look really cool and honestly the same thing you could do the same thing for any of the uh the traitor legions that are also involved also something to think about is that if you were planning on playing one of those original legions like the death guard or the emperor's children or the sons of horus or the world eaters you could narratively base your army as you present them around the Istvan 3 uh, betrayal. Because, you know, let's say you want to be able to um, play your army as either loyal or traitor, depending on what is required for the narrative, you know, as you're sitting down with your buddies. Well, base it on Istvan 3, you know, paint up and 
get some of those characters from the Horus Heresy novels and represent them in some way on the table. That way you've got a really flexible force. And, you know, it's it looks good, it works well with the lore, and you've got a lot of options for when you want to play with friends in lots of different ways. Um, the new box, although Mark VI won't necessarily match that directly, with a few head swaps, especially if you take out those beaky heads and you add some Mark IV onto them, you could really make something special in that regard. I think it would look cool and it would be fun and easy to do. The next event that I want to talk about is... Um, Everyone will want to go to the Siege of Terra, which is the end of things when basically the traitors have the loyalists on the ropes. And that's a good one. But I also really like the Shadow Crusade. The Shadow Crusade is what happens um, to the essentially the Ultramarines and the 500 worlds of Ultramar. Um, the Ultramarines, Robu Gilliman, is hanging out at home, has no idea what's about to come down, and he is snuck attack by the word bearers and, uh, you know, the uh, world leaders. And the end result of this is uh, what's called the Ruin Storm, which basically um, forces all of the legions, the, the Loyalist legions, who are not basically already on Terra or very near Terra, to sit out most of the rest of the, uh, of the Crusade. Now, if you're playing Ultramarines, it's super fluffy. If you're playing Word Bearers or Word Eaters, it's really fluffy as well. A lot of the Word Bearers characters are directly involved with the Ruin Storm, and so there's lots of reason for them to be there. Um, the other thing, too, is that because of where Ultramar is in the narrative of the galaxy, like physically, there are a lot of splinter fleets um, that could get lost in or on their way to the Shadow Crusade. So, I mean, who's to say that there isn't a small fleet of, you know, White Scars, uh, you know, Sagyar Mazan, who are disgraced warriors because of a failed coup that they tried to fill more on that some other time um who's to say they don't show up and just try to throw themselves at the word bearers during the, that um who's to say there isn't a small fleet of space wolves who is in their way to intercept some of the traitor primarchs and gets waylaid and ends up fighting alongside the the ultramarines or you know small groups of night lords who take up with the uh, word bearers or the word eaters it's a really cool setting it's really brutal uh, the combat is brutal um, in the story and it takes them a long time to figure the whole thing out there's lots of really cool characters involved and i think it's worth looking into as well there's really so many different um established lore settings um i'm going to try to cover one or maybe two of them per episode depending we'll see we'll see what people like uh, but there's so much to do and honestly hey that doesn't mean that you can't invent your own there are so many battles um, in the Horus Heresy, and the lore writers say this, that, you know, that are lost to, you know, quote, the sands of time. So, you know, if you and your buddy play legions that uh, never actually have any fateful meetups in the established lore, dude, write your own. You know what I mean? Like, put it together any way you want to. Build your own narrative. Establish some lore for your company, your regiment, uh, the regiments that are coming with them. You know, what Titan legions are along with your uh, crusade fleet? Where are they when the heresy breaks out? You have lots of options in what you want to do within the established story. The important thing is to uh, you know, find a way to meld your ideas with the general cool feel of the horse heresy as it is. So uh, another thing that will happen in later um, episodes is breakdown of those different legions and to talk about 
you know, what you should expect when you're trying to build um, Raven Guard versus Death Guard versus White Scars. And the cool thing is that basically all of the legions have all of the units that are available to them. Just some have rules and, and styles that play more strongly to one viewpoint than another or one style than another. And it doesn't mean that you can't do that. I know lots of people who have um, made really cool narrative fluffy lists for like, you know, a Space Wolves tank company. There's... They, they had them, you know, they had Vanquisher cannons, I'm um, sorry, uh, you know, Vindicators, they had, uh, you know, well, the new Kratos tank, you know, everyone's supposed to have had all of that stuff. So if you want to make it happen in your story, you can make it happen in your story. And this is the best time to do this sort of thing. I mean, we're just about to start a brand new edition. And while not going over the leaks or other things, so to speak, we can talk about the fact that a lot of what we've been shown from Warhammer community and through, you know, reviewers on YouTube and other places, a lot of Horus Heresy is going to be very similar to the way it was before. There's going to be a lot of changes as well, but the basic flavor and feel of the game, I think, I think might stay intact, but you can't say for certain. And that's what's going to be really fun about the next following weeks is there's so many ideas and so many different possibilities and combinations of uh, units and builds and you know different ideas of forces that you can put on the table that you weren't possible in the last edition and while that change might be pretty uh frustrating or scary for some players who have been in this system for a long time i think it's awesome i think i think games have to change they have to develop and go someplace new they have to go someplace different. Otherwise, it's uh, it's going to stall out. It's going to die. So with that being said, I'd like to take a second to deliver a bit of an, an ode. Not a eulogy, you know, a so long, not a farewell to one of the oldest friends of Heresy 1.0. The Rhino with a Dozer Blade and a Multi-Melta. Ode to the Rhino with Dozer Blade and Multi-Melta. Fearlessly trailblazing terrain with your re-rollable terrain check. You shuttled my dudes to objective points, and then you took obnoxious pot shots at tanks, or sometimes little unfortunate infantry dudes who were just close enough. You made my opponents assess the threat level of essentially what was a town and country with Kevlar vests strapped to the side. You might have just been a minivan, but you were a minivan with an AP-1 weapon. And you were obnoxious enough to make my friends consider taking Armored Ceramite on everything. We thank you for your service. In Heresy 1.0, if someone had asked me what are some essential things to pick up, I would absolutely say I think most armies could use at least one or two Rhino. Um, and definitely you want to melt a and definitely you also want a dozer blade. Now, the reason why for this is because movement in the game is, of course, really important. You really want to make sure that your guys can get where they need to go. And the Rhino, uh, it's a transport. It allows you to take a squad, usually for me at least a 10-man tactical squad, of scoring models and push them out onto an objective or to contest area or just take up ground, you know, do something like that. Now... Why was the Rhino so good? Well, it had an armor value. It had 
not very many hull points, but it was really cheap. And it allowed greater movement, so you could quickly move across the board. And you could give it cheap upgrades, 15 points for a, a pencil-mounted multi-melta, which makes it immediately dangerous to almost everything on the board. It ended up being, I think, what, 60, 65 points? It didn't matter. It was so cheap, so easy to have out there. And it's something that your opponent had to deal with. Now, when we're talking about building forces for Horus Heresy, I do not encourage people to try to think about min-maxing their lists, which means you know only bring the best stuff or cut off all the chaff or whatever else. Look for only the super broken combos. But there is something powerful or special about the small things like the Rhino um, in Heresy 1.0 because it was effective, it did what you wanted it to do, it was cheap, it didn't break the game, it wasn't unbelievably powerful, but it gave you options as a player. Um, you had more control over the board. You had an ability to protect some of your um, models, your scoring models, when you needed to. And then once you got them out of that tank, you had the chance to, you know, you can screen your models with it. Or your tank can, as often times happened with me, rush up the board and block further lanes of travel for your opponent. Or, you know, try to take a shot at another tank. You know, you, there's lots of things that you could do with it. And those are the sorts of things that I'm really looking forward to again finding in Heresy for 2.0. That's kind of my question going into it. I've got some ideas, but what is going to be the Rhino with the um, the Dozer Blade and the Melta for this edition? Now, the answer might be that the answer to or what the new Rhino is just also the Rhino. Um, transports are still going to be really good uh, in this edition. Pinning is going to be very, very potent. And pinning is going to be, uh, is a rule that allows you to um, injure or take out specific models. You, you take out specific models in your opponent's squads, they take a leadership test, and if a weapon has pinning, then they're stuck there and they can't do much the next turn. Well, being inside a transport keeps that from happening. You know, you're still gonna get to move. Um, the multi-melta only got better in this edition, even though it's more expensive because Armored Ceramite, which was um, a specific upgrade that you used to be able to purchase for vehicles to uh, prevent the extra special Melter rules. Well, that doesn't exist in Heresy 2.0. So honestly, Rhinos still might be really great, but there's lots of other things to consider as well. You know what else is going to be really good? Putting big blobs of tactical marines with an apothecary and having them run up the field. Um, tactical marines got a little bit cheaper, I think. And um, if you put them with an apothecary, they have a rule that makes them even hardier when they're standing on objectives, which is the entire reason you take tactical marines. Now, I will tell you this right now, legions, lists, and players who can take good advantage of tactical marines in general, this edition, are going to do well. Uh, tactical marines are going to be good, and the option and the versatility of a unit that isn't all that amazing on its own but it's cheap and it gives you options that's the real currency of wargaming there's going to be lots of other things as well i'm really curious to hear what my listeners um have to say about that if they have other things in mind like what do you think is going to be the new the new hot thing this edition the new fun not broken but fun and flavorful and uh you know, unit or trick that's going to up the level of gamesmanship required at the table while still having a fun experience for you and your opponent. So the last segment for today is going to be um, a question session. 
And um, this is something that I'm going to do, uh, I'll hopefully do every, every episode. Um, you can email us, the royal we, I guess. You know, I was supposed to have a podcast host. I wonder if he's listening right now. I bet he is. Anyway, um, Ineptus Astartus 30k at gmail.com. That's I-N-E-P-T-U-S-A-S-T-A-R-T-E-S 30k at gmail.com. And title the question, quest, title the email questions if you could. Otherwise, I can just read it and figure it out as well. But um, if you have specific questions about uh, rules, about story, fluff, anything, if you want help writing a list, that's something that I'm hoping to do very soon as well. As a matter of fact, probably the next episode will be specifically dedicated towards um, designing a list and also giving some ideas of places to look for the specific legions. Not going to do a specific teardown and rundown. Um, there are lots of other places that are doing that. Um, I believe the Abilibuddies podcast who are uh, friends. Um, I believe they're going to be doing something like that specifically. And so I will direct you to that um, and find a way to link to those uh, at some point. We'll see how that works. But regardless, please send me an email at ineptusastartus30k at gmail.com. And uh, if you've got questions, I'd love to answer them. So the first question here submitted by um, our friends at Death and Betrayal Podcast how do you build a community? What's important to do uh, to build a community when you're looking to start playing Horus Heresy? Um, so I started a, a new Horus Heresy community in 1.0 in my town. Um, and basically what I did was I just talked up the lore, talked up the story to my friends and encouraged and supported and promised that, that there are certain things about Horus Heresy that are, that are supposed to be true. One, it's supposed to be fun. Um, there are other games that are competitive by nature and they have excellent rule sets for being competitive and they get constant rules updates. Um, and if you're a person who loves that com really competitive edge mindset, then they're a perfect game for you. Well, some people really wanna spend you know, six months, seven months, eight months working on a new army. And they don't want it to be completely crap by the time they're done with it. One of the nice things that I hope remains consistent is that in Horus Heresy 1.0, you can make an army and it wouldn't change a whole ton, you know, over time. Um, and that's the kind of thing we want because having that time and encouraging your friends to take the time with their army and fully painting their army helps really put an idea of commitment into the game and it makes it fun. Um, the other thing that I strongly recommend is to really foster that sense of narrative. You know, if you're going to do events, um, and, like local events, invite some buddies to come over and play, build a narrative that is fun for everyone regardless of what happens. Let me tell you one thing that I really, really love about the, the heresy community at large. Um, I went to Adepticon this year and it was the first time I had been able to go since I got into Horus Heresy because of, you know, uh, the pandemic and I had some kid stuff before as well where I had tickets, but I was forced to get rid of them. Um, but the point is that when we go to these events and we play in these events, um, there are almost always awards that come out at the end. And traditionally at conventions, you get awards for things like best general, best painted, and that's, that's great. Um, 
Adepticon has largely gone away from giving an award for best general, which typically is the award you give to the player who has scored the best, you know, uh, won the most, had the highest margin of victory or whatever else. And instead, they just do awards for favorite opponent. They do awards for um, best painted and then best themed army. And I think this is wonderful because really the thing that we are publicly, you know, acknowledging each other for is like trying to build a cool story. And also, very importantly to me, trying to reward people for being the kind of people who you want to play against. I'm not going to spend this money and this time and this effort to put together this army. And if I if I come back and have a really negative playing experience against someone, I'm not going to enjoy it. I'm not going to want to come back. As, as a whole, we seem to do a pretty good job as a community in the past we have of encouraging being that kind of person. And I really think that's important for you to, to, uh, to mimic in your own personal community. You know, Make sure that new players have a play partner who is going to teach them how the game works. It's not about smashing your opponent down, you know? Um, the game is meant to last a turn five. If you're always playing games where you crush your opponent by turn two, maybe you need to rethink the way you put um, your list together. And I, honestly, I'll be honest, I'm guilty of this sometimes. Um, I need to tone my list down so that I always make sure my friends are having a fun time playing against me. That kind of gets into the second question as well. The second question is, how do you build a list? I'm not going to, I'm going to cheat on this one, uh, because this is going to be largely a topic for a, an upcoming episode. But here is a real basic rule that can help you make a list that is fun. And, and I'll get into the specifics of how it works. You know, earlier in this episode, I'm talking about stuff like the Rhino with the Multi-Melta. It's points efficient, it's effective, it does the job you want it to do. There are all sorts of other design things that you're going to want to consider when you are building a list. Um, but this is, a, this is a rule that I have found to be very effective for the overall happiness of myself and my opponents. If I am making a 3,000 point list, I make 2,000 points of what I think is super is effective, you know, is going to get to me to what I need to do. I, I put in 2,000 points of scoring units. I put in, you know, make sure that my 2,000 points has anti-armor and anti-infantry and it has effective movement and it has effective rules. And then I try to find a third of the army and try to put in something that I just think is fun, you know, something that's going to look, just look cool, rule of cool, and it may or may not have any impact on the game whatsoever. But if I make sure that all the models that I have, I have chosen because they feel narrative and they feel fun for me and my opponent, then I'm not setting my friend up to sit across from me and look at a list that's going to utterly devastate them and their desire to keep playing this game. More to come on that, but that's a basic idea to consider. Are you building this list because you heard from a friend that Warhammer Community said, uh, this thing is going to be really powerful, or somebody on YouTube said, here's a tier ranking in this legion, blah, blah, blah. Or are you building it because you like the story involved with that thing? I really hope it's the story. And if it isn't, you know, think about what you can do to make it more about the story. The third question is, what should make Heresy different? How should it be different from other games? Um, I think I've sort of, sort of covered that already. Um, Heresy should be fun. It should feel narrative-driven. It should be... Uh, an experience where you and your opponent win or lose, you walk away from it 
enjoying it, you know? Um, it should be a game where, like, I mean, the best games, the games that you talk about are the games that are close, where everything is destroyed. Uh, it gets really down to the wire. Uh, hardly every, anybody remembers or really, really cherishes the memories of the games in which they destroyed their opponent entirely. Unless there's a another story that goes along with that idea. Um, heresy should be, as much as it can be, fully painted. You know? Um, it should be something that we take the time that we can to put into our craft. Now, I am not a good painter. I'm going to tell everybody that now. And this is not going to be a, a, a podcast in which I at least offer very expansive tips on the actual hobbying process because I'm not the person to ask. I am never going to judge someone who shows up with an army that they very clearly put time and love into. Um, you put a force together and you thought about the narrative. Um, whether you're a golden demon level painter or just somebody like me, um, I don't have I don't have that like disgust but there's a far cry difference between you know three color minimum and the kind of effort that we're hoping to see in horus heresy because we want that um that feel to it that care that 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 makes us feel like we're actually you know recreating something fun together um but ultimately should be about building relationships and friendships that's one of the really cool things i think about this community um I've met so many really interesting people just through playing Horus Heresy, going to these conventions, and then joining online groups. The accountability buddies, I've mentioned them once before, but it happens to be a collection of most of the cool people that I've met. Um, you know, I talk with the guys who run uh, Heresy in Omaha and some guys who run Heresy in, in Minneapolis and, you know, my friends uh, in other places in the Midwest. And it, it's that it's that outreach and that real genuine, like, how are you doing? What are you working on? That's the thing that should be really fun about heresy, in my opinion. The last question here, um, is it ever okay to break the lore of heresy? Um, that's kind of a tricky question. The answer is kind of. Um, I will tell you one thing. To start with, the new box that I get this weekend is going to be used for an alternate heresy project, specifically um, traitor dark angels following the lore as if um, the dark angels, in fact, followed uh, in the footsteps of a traitor, a traitor war master in one of the alternate heresies. So I am going to do something different and it's against heresy. Now, uh, I'm probably just going to play them as traitor dark angels against my friends um, because you can do that. Um, but I'm going to, uh, do some research here on that alternate heresy lore. Um, and right now I'm trying to find a cool way to represent them in the paint scheme, which marks them as having fallen to Zinch. Um, I'm going to custom build some models. I'm going to look for some 3d printed extra bits for, uh, some ways to make, make this army stand out and look different. And, um, in that regard, yes, it's totally fine to, you know, quote unquote, break the rules a little bit for the lore. That being said, are there times when it's really important to follow the lore? Also, absolutely. Um, you know, there were numerous themed events at um, Adepticon this year in which you had, um, you know, stories that were developed and based upon the established lore. Um, there's this really cool event where they do a return to a Istvan thing. And so 
the only legions who are allowed to be there are legions who were actually at Istvan as part of the story. Now, th- that's part of the immersion of the story. And you, if you want to be involved with that project, then you know if you're going to come to Adepticon next year and they're going to do that event again, I'm not sure if they are. I think they've talked about doing something different. But if they do, you shouldn't show up with Dark Angels because they weren't there. And that's just part of how the story goes. Now, if you're playing with your friend and, you know, your friend has Ferris Manus and the Iron Hands and, you know, you want to fight against Sigismund just because, yeah, absolutely. But if, like, if your friends are going through the trouble of putting together a narrative weekend event or, you know, they're doing, like, a one-day campaign, uh, you should expect to play the part that your Legion, you know actually fits in you know because why bother trying to build a story and a narrative if you're gonna if you're gonna just break it it just it just doesn't work so well with the rest of the way things work now like i said this largely isn't a problem most of the time but just don't expect to be the person who says you know um i want to play transformers with your dinosaurs and always let that work out now, to be fair, though, I mean, we are still talking about toys for grown-ups. So, like, I think it's important not to get too bent out of shape one way or another when someone asks to bring their Transformers back in the Paleolithic age, so to speak. But, like, you know, I mean, just understand that sometimes that's not what we're looking for as uh, people who are in the community. So just understand that it doesn't all go together all the time precisely as you might like it to. But, you know... You be the one to run an event, run an alternate heresy event where it works for your special circumstances to happen and, and take the time to build up that story. You know, write a new alternate heresy, write about a secret campaign that no one else knows about because you're just making it up and then it works just fine. Just establish the story and put the time and the craft in. And I really don't think most people will care. That is going to do it for episode zero. Who knows if this even gets aired? I'm really just trying to do this as proof to myself that it can get done. Um, I would love to hear your feedback. Um, please email me at ineptusastartus30k at gmail.com. Um, if you have ideas for things you'd like to hear about in the future, some other teases for things that I want to talk about. Uh, like I said, I want to talk a little bit about lore, um, times and places of battles where you can potentially build some cool ideas for your new army or projects. I want to talk about the essentials of list building and how all that works together. I want to talk about the fundamentals of the game and the best way to make it work in a way that's friendly. And I want to talk about lore. Um, if you have questions about building the game, whatever else, just want to say hello, uh, please drop me a line. And like I said, uh, check back here for more. And also please check out the Accountabilities podcast. They're great guys as well. Thank you so much. Take care.